Broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Hello, and welcome to the Kick Set Podcast. I am your host, Dan McCarthy. Hopefully, everybody has uh, returned to the pool in some way, shape, or form. Probably doesn't look like it did a year ago today, but hopefully everybody's getting back in the water. Uh, USA Swimming is obviously super concerned and super interested in how people are returning to swim. If you haven't had the opportunity to visit the website, I suggest you go to usaswimming.org and click on the COVID resources link and any information you might be looking for will be located there. Hopefully, you've had a chance to listen to the last three podcasts. We've had some great guests, Dave Durden, Johnny Skinner, Erica Sullivan, um, all with you know different perspectives, different thoughts on swimming and different, uh, different approaches to the sport. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, um, after you finish this one, back up and listen to, to one or all three of those. And we've got great content coming. We've got Olympians We've got more coaches that are going to be guests, uh, the content that you like. So please, you know, check your feed and make sure that you've got the latest update, the latest edition of the Kickset podcast. Um, and if you are looking for swimming content, uh, most of you, if not all of you, realize at this point that we have a very robust YouTube channel uh, from USA Swimming. Uh, we have a new perspective series. We have a nutrition series up there. Some of our Olympians did home workouts, um, and they're up there for you to watch as well. Uh, the really very popular Off the Blocks series is there as well. And if you're really, really missing the high-level swimming, we have race highlights from past Pro Swim Series and U.S. Open events. I highly recommend visiting our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, visit, uh, and search USA Swimming. Make sure you click the subscribe button um, so that you can always keep up on the latest uploads. We have a very special guest today. Uh, we've been waiting a while to have Ashley Twitchell on. Um, she's a longtime national team member and a first-time Olympian. She qualified for the 2020 Olympic team, now the 2021 Olympic team, um, in the open water 10K, um, along with Haley Anderson and Jordan Wilmoski. Um, Ashley has a great story. She walks us through her journey from just qualifying from the Olympic trials in 2008 to eventually making the Olympic team uh, in 2019. Um, uh, like everybody else, Ashley had to face the challenges uh, of COVID-19 and the quarantine. And she talks a lot about how she was able to get through that period uh, emotionally as well as physically. Uh, Ashley's a elite open water athlete and pool athlete as well. Um, she talks a little bit about that, what it's like being a pro. Ashley's been a professional swimmer for more than a decade now. And um, she has some thoughts on her responsibilities and, um, and how she does it. And just for fun, she's going to tell us how to find good pizza in Kazan, Russia. Let's take a listen. Ashley, welcome to the Kickset Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, I want to give everybody a little bit of background. Um, you probably didn't even know, but in May, we were planning on talking to 
our open water athletes, athlete, one of them, two of them, three of them, if we could, to kind of kick off the run towards Olympic trials and the Olympics. And we were going to do that at the May Pro Swim Series. And <laughs> everything fell apart. I think we actually didn't have podcasts for like six weeks or something. So, um, but I wanted to, I mean, first of all, I wanted to tell everybody how honored I am. I have one of the few 2020, 2021 Olympians on my podcast right now. Um, do you ever get tired of hearing that yet? No, it has not. It certainly hasn't gotten old. Um, I will say I like don't even know whether to say 2020 or 2021 right now. So it's a, a bit of an odd situation, but no, it definitely has not gotten old. Okay. I, uh, I, I, whenever I was getting ready to talk to you, I went back and I found what I thought was a really cool article in ESPN from uh, just about a year ago last year. Mm-hmm. And it, it outlined, and I'll put this in, I'll give everybody the link in the later on in the podcast, if they want to go read it, but it really kind of like lays out your history broken down by quadrennium from 2008 on. Um, is there anything missing from that story? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really appreciated that story too. It, it kind of delved into um, my whole journey um, throughout the sport and I, you know, I've been swimming forever. I started, you know, my first like summer league team when I was three, Um, you know, went to Duke, absolutely loved it. And then, you know, decided to continue on, which, um, you know, when I decided to keep swimming after college, it wasn't like I was an Olympic hopeful or anything like that. I, you know, I barely had an Olympic trials cut and um, that was almost 10 years ago. And so, you know, now it's a little more common, I think, for swimmers to continue on after college. But um, back then, especially if you weren't, you know, uh, an Olympic hopeful, it, it definitely wasn't the norm. And so I kind of took a leap of faith. And um, yeah, I hope, you know, with that article, I can inspire others who just feel like their, um, their journey and their career isn't over yet to, to keep going with it. Cool. Um, one of the things in the past couple of weeks, I've gotten emails from people that listen to the podcast that have, they may have been doing this all along, but they've been listening to the podcast in the car with their kids going to practices. Maybe they're super happy that they're, you know, back swimming again and they're listening to those. And the athlete interviews seem to resonate the most with the children, perhaps because, you know, whether you're climbing on a block at an age group meet or at a PSS, you still feel the same thing as a swimmer. So throughout this, our time together today, I'm going to keep referencing that because these, these kids that are listening with their parents in the car really enjoy hearing from you guys particularly. Um, but one of the things in the story that stuck out to me that I thought I would bring up is at the uh, 2019 world championships at the finish, you weren't certain that you had placed top 10 and you expressed some trepidation. Was that just you know, that's how open water swimming works out? Or was there a fear of being let down, some emotional buildup, combination of everything? What what was that reservation on your part? Yeah, I mean, so the open water, you know, 10k, usually for the women, it takes right around two hours, typically. Uh, So it's definitely a long race. And there's a lot of time, um, you know, to think during that race. And so, you know, as much as I could, I tried to stay focused on the race itself. And, um, really stay in the moment, which I feel like I did do a good job of for the most part. But of course, um, at times, you know, my mind wandered to, you know, this is an Olympic qualifier race. And at the end of this race, I'll either, you know, have qualified for the Olympics or I won't. And so, 
Um, coming around the last turn of the last lap, um, it was about an 800 meter stretch until the finish. And I had been in a pretty good spot the whole race. I, I felt like I was, um, you know, doing well and I was happy with where I was. And um, I got, you know, pretty um, demolished around that last turn. And I think, you know, I didn't know, obviously, at the time exactly where I was. But, um, you know, from race video now, looking back on it, I'm able to to tell that I was in 14th coming around that last turn. And, um, you know, I knew that obviously the top 10 uh, qualified for the Olympics. And so I wasn't sure where exactly I was, but I knew that I was not in the top 10. I knew that it was a huge pack of women, which, you know, throughout the whole race, you're kind of hoping that that pack breaks up and it never really did. It remained a huge pack. And so um, coming around that last turn for, you know, a, a split second, I definitely did kind of have that, um, that like fear goes through my mind of like, Oh, great. Like I'm going to miss the Olympic team again. Um, you know, my first Olympic trials was in 2008. I definitely wasn't close to making the team then, but, um, I did really narrowly miss in 2012. Um, and again in 2016. So, um, I definitely did have that, that thought briefly go through my mind, but I was able to quickly, um, you know, change my perspective and my thinking and realize that the race obviously wasn't over and um, there was still a good 10 minutes left of the race. And so I told myself that I wanted to, you know, when I finished, I wanted to know that regardless of what the outcome was, I had given it everything I had. And of, of course, if I hadn't made the team, I would have been disappointed, but there would have been um, some pride in knowing that I'd, I'd given it my all. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt, I actually felt really good that last 800 meters and I could see myself passing people, which was definitely a huge um, boost, both, you know, physically and mentally. And I was like 99% sure when I touched that I had, you know, touched in the top 10, but of course, like I didn't want to celebrate until it was for certain. And I think the scoreboard was just showing photo finish from like third to 14th. And so I actually turned to Haley who had placed second um, and thought maybe she had seen the finish and turned to her and said, I, I placed top 10, right? And she said, yeah, I think so. And then um, Bryce was actually, Bryce Elser was actually the first person I saw um, after the race and he, he confirmed it for me. So that was definitely um, a, a huge relief when he gave me the official news, I guess. That's, that's a great story. And I, I there's a little part of that, that I, I want to emphasize for the people that aren't as familiar with open water as they are with pool swimming in pool swimming, a 10 minutes left 800 is probably not a great time. 10 minutes left 800 open water is a sprint to the finish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And, and now open water races, you know, most of them come down to um, a photo finish. So it's, it's pretty wild to think that you're, you know, sprinting at the end of swimming 10,000 meters. Uh, you know, we just did a seminar with Russell Mark and for an open water summit last week. And um, I think he, he was like extrapolating data, but he was estimating, I think for me, it was like 5,600 cycles over the 10K, which to think about it, it's like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely different than pool swimming. Um, and it, it's taken some getting used to, but I've also done, I competed in the 25 K. So compared to that, the 10 K actually feels somehow a bit, a bit shorter and more manageable. That's great. Um, so when it was all said and done, you're one of the first three Americans, not just to make the U S Olympic swim team, but to make the U S Olympic team. I don't know if there's been any other qualifiers other than you, Jordan and Haley at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was something that was definitely um, was really cool. And I knew that, um, you know, this, well, 
this was going to be my last year swimming. Now this next year will be my last year swimming, but um, to have that, you know, last year, not only to have kind of the pressure lifted off and, and um, I had plans and I, I still have plans to go to pool trials and try to make the team in the pool as well. But um, to know I've, I had qualified in, in open water definitely was a huge relief and just be able to really train this past year and, and now train this next year um, and to, you know, kind of have the whole year to, look forward to um going to and competing at the olympics knowing that you've you've already qualified was was really cool so i mentioned earlier that this all got sidetracked by quarantine COVID 19 um and at some day in the future nobody is going to be interested anymore in how people survived this <laughs> but right now especially athletes is like you watch, you know, how are they doing the NBA bubble, the NHL bubble, watching the football game last night, the, you know, the coaches with the mask on, everything's so interesting how athletes are adapting. Um, did you, were you forced to adapt? Were you forced to, to stop training? How, how did it affect you? Yeah, so I was actually out in Colorado Springs at the training mm -hmm. center um, in early March. I was supposed to be out there for a three-week training camp and then – um, really from, from then on until the Olympics, I was pretty much going to be living out of a suitcase traveling. You know, I was going to go to the pro swim in, in Mission Viejo. I was going to go to an open water, um, world cup in the Seychelles, um, back to Colorado, Olympic trials, the Olympics. So, um, was kind of geared up for, for several months of training and competing. And, um, we, I got out to Colorado, I think on March 8th and, really within just a few days of being out there, things really started to escalate with, with COVID. And um, about 10 days into our trip, um, we, I think it was like a Tuesday night, we were told that the training center would be closing the next day mm -hmm. um, because of the governor's orders. And, and um, so we booked a, I ended up booking a flight for that next morning. We all did Wednesday morning and um, flew home and have been home ever since. Um, so definitely, obviously a huge change in plans. I was able to train in my pool at home in North Carolina did remain open for, I want to say it was like probably a week after I got home. And at that point, um, no decision had officially been made yet regarding the Olympics. So it was, was still, um, training in, you know, just in case, I guess. And, um, you know, once that official decision had been made, I think we were already out of the pool. Um, our pool had already been, been closed. And so, um, at that point, I have a nearby lake to us. And so myself, my husband, um, and one teammate of mine, um, would go out to the lake, uh, probably four or five times a week. And my coach would kayak. And, um, obviously it was nice from a physical t standpoint to, to stay in the water and to stay moving, but more so from a mental standpoint, that was huge for me to be able to just kind of, um, escape for a little bit. I mean, we weren't doing much, but just to be, you know, out, on the lake and in the water for like an hour was, was really nice. And so I did that for about two months um, or two and a half months. I think our pool opened back up. I want to say like mid June. And so since then I've been able to do singles. So definitely still less swimming than um, what I would typically be doing in a, in a normal training cycle. Um, we're, we're back to long course now in the mornings, which is super nice. In the beginning, it was just short course, but yeah, it's definitely been, been a lot of adapting, but I've, I've really just tried to take it day by day and, um, know that a lot of it is while, while it's frustrating, it's, it's out of my control. And so, um, worrying about it and stressing about it, um, really isn't going to help. And so, 
obviously easier said than done, but really trying to, to keep a, a positive outlook and, and just do the best I can do with kind of what I have and, and what I had. So whether that's going to the lake or doing dry land at home with body weight stuff, obviously um, gyms weren't open. They just opened back up here a couple of days ago. I haven't been yet. So really just trying to do the best um, I can with what I have. And at the same time being super grateful for what I have, you know, myself and my family and friends, um, have all, you know, remained healthy. And so definitely counting my blessings for that. And I know there are people who have it way, way worse. So really just trying to maintain perspective. Um, we at high performance team keep in touch with a lot of the national team athletes. Um, and some of the adaptations and things with people building home gyms and searching mm-hmm. out for dumbbells. Is there anything unusual that you tried? Maybe once and was no that's not gonna work (laughs) um I don't think so I mean I don't I'm not like a heavy lifter so (laughs) honestly like doing body weight um dry land isn't a huge change you know my strength and conditioning coach who's based out of Colorado has been awesome at you know I told her the equipment that I do have at home and um she's been able to write programs that I've been able to do with what I have accessible to me so that's been great and um I I have you know I've had a Peloton for probably about a year and a half, but, um, really since quarantine started, I've, I've, um, become like slightly addicted to that thing. I I absolutely love it. So, um, I do that. Like, you know, now that I'm swimming a little bit more, it's a little less on the bike, but, um, I love that. So that's been, that's been super helpful for me. A little bit earlier, uh, when you mentioned that you were hopping in the lake four or five times a week, a lot of swimmers who probably never hopped in a lake, um, started doing that during quarantine enough that, uh, I believe you did a PSA for the foundation about that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, and you know, even, you know, locally, like, uh, I saw a lot of, you know, kids on, on my team, the tight, the tac Titans, um, they would be out of the lake and, um, doing it, you know, carefully and, and just in super small groups and maintaining distance, which it's nice. You're able to do that obviously in open water and, um, but even with them, you know, there are boats on that lake. And so I encouraged, all of them that I saw to, to get buoys and some with those. And, um, it's, it's maybe not ideal, but it's not, it's not the end of the world and it's definitely worth it to, to be safe. And so, yeah, I mean, I talked to a couple of teams also like virtually on zoom who, you know, are getting out in the open water and, and that was super cool for me to see. And hopefully, you know, some of them will, will stick with it. And, um, whether it's, you know, continuing to do both pool and open water but um i think it definitely introduced a lot more swimmers to um open water which i think is awesome i mean i'm sure some of them hated it and wanted nothing more to get back to the pool but hopefully some of them um, will stick with it are you worried about lily king now i know i i kept dming her like are you coming for me like you're doing this all this open water but i don't think she was a huge fan so all right so you're i mean your your training is approaching normal Okay. Not quite doubles yet or anything like that. How about your day-to-day life? I know you're, you know, used to filling the three hours a day with a, with a practice, but is, are things coming back in balance? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, so I've started doing like one or two doubles a week. Um, you know, it's, it's limited just because of pool space and, and keeping numbers down in lanes, obviously. Um, and so it, it has been nice to get back into a little bit more of a routine and um, just back to kind of like the, the daily grind of, of what I'm used to. And then um, I also, you know, once, you know, everything, you know, the decision was made that the Olympics would be postponed. And um, when that was announced in March, um, 
you know, in, in March and April, I was swimming in the lake and then come May, obviously, you know, pools still weren't open. And I knew that I wanted, I was going to have a lot more free time than usual and definitely a whole lot more free time than I had anticipated for this summer. And so I knew I wanted to do something that would um, not only help fill the time, but would um, be meaningful to me. And so I um, actually gave a ton of some lessons this summer. I still am. Um, and that's something I'm always, I've always been really passionate about. Uh, ever since I was in probably my, my senior year of high school. And then when I was home for summers in college, um, I would give some lessons at, you know, our country club. And I've always loved that. Uh, and really like learn to swim. I do some, I do some for like technique for older kids, but I love um, the learn to swim and, and just giving kids those safety skills and, and having them, um, you know, be as safe as possible in the water. So um, that's a huge passion of mine. And it's, it's been an awesome summer being able to do that. And I've given, um, you know, probably a few hundred swim lessons. And so to see kids go from, you know, being terrified of water to at the end of the summer, like having it be like the most fun thing ever for them it is so rewarding and and even more so obviously just being as safe as possible around water is um is awesome so that that's been really great and um, something I've really enjoyed doing and that's um helped fill those hours of my day yeah it's it was wonderful at least around here um I can't speak for the rest of the country that some of the pools were able to open this summer and I think that idea is catching on more and more uh, even with the indoor facility. So it, it makes me happy. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you got to do more lessons than maybe you would have done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I was first exposed to open water swimming in the nineties. Um, like we had a little 5k every summer and that sort of thing. And as it grew in prominence, um, in the United States, that became this moment where everybody was, you had to swim in a lake. You had to go, you, you know, you had to go swim in open water somewhere. Um, people from Pittsburgh were driving up to Lake Erie because they had to go swim in the lake or something like that. And over, since I've been at USA Swimming for like the last 15 years, I've watched the pendulum swim, swing a little bit to actually a lot where I would say there's probably way more pool swimming involved in being an open water swimmer now than ever mm -hmm. before. In your opinion, has that swung too far? Or is it just right now? Yeah, I mean, I think I was introduced at an early age to not really from a competitive standpoint, but um, my family would vacation in, you know, Florida for a couple weeks every spring and, and Cape Cod in the summer. And so on those vacations, I would just go for open water swims with my dad, um, maybe like a mile, um, A, to, to stay just in the water since I was taking a couple weeks out, out of practices in the pool and B, we just, it was something we really enjoyed doing together. And so, um, I, I grew up doing that and, and loving it and really enjoying it. And it was just a break from, um, from practicing in the pool and, and staring at the black line the whole time, which I really enjoyed. And then I also did the, um, swim across America events. So we always did the one in Long Island Sound and we did it, um, in memory of my uncle who passed away from cancer. And so I always loved that event too. Again, not really a race, but um, a longer swim, I think it was a 5k we used to do. So, and I really love those. So that's really how I got my first, um, introduction to open water, but from a competitive standpoint, it really wasn't until after college that I, um, really kind of dove into to the competitive, um, sphere of open water. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that club kids are encouraged to try it. I think, um, 
there may be a little bit of a mentality that you kind of have to choose one or the other, but I hope that, um, you know, a lot of us on the national team uh, are examples of being able to do yeah. both. And um, a lot of us who are on the national team for open water are on the national team for the pool as well. And um, I know, you know, for, I, I speak for myself, but I think I would speak for others as well who compete in open water that um, training competing in the pool only enhances um, competing in open water and vice versa. I think, um, you know, doing some training and more so competing in open water has really enhanced my, my pool swims. And um, I've only gotten faster in the pool as I've continued to, to um, compete in open water. So um, I do think there's um, opportunity to, to do both. And for me, I feel like it's been so beneficial to kind of be able to hop back and forth between the two. And I feel like, um, you know, I always say like, after an open water race, I'm like so ready to get back to the pool and have my own space and my own lane and a black line and no current and no waves. And then, you know, after a pool meet, I'm like, okay, I want to go like to a beach and do an open water race. So for me, it's, it's been really, really beneficial. And I feel like it's a huge part of the reason why I'm still training. It's just kept it fun and exciting for me. And so, um, yeah, I hope, I hope more, um, club kids at least, at least give it a shot. It's a lot different. And so, um, it's something fun. And I think, again, I made my first national team um, because of open water. So I think in that way, too, it's just it's an opportunity um, to to kind of maybe make a national team or international team and, and experience it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody listening at this point understands that you have always been an elite pool distance swimmer. I mean, that you made Olympic trials 2008, 2012, 2016. By 2016, I mean, you're competing for spots on the Olympic team. But there was something missing, which we have now, which is the 1500. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I actually, um, I was in the Cayman Islands at an open water race, actually, when um, one of the Japanese swimmers came up to me and was like, did you hear? And I was like, did I hear what? And he was like, they've added the, the 1500 for women and the 800 for men to the Olympics. And so um, I like vividly remember that because that was, that was definitely super exciting. And um, yeah, I feel like I love, you know, the 800 in the pool, but um, kind of the longer, the, the better for me. So um, that's definitely really exciting to have, you know, that opportunity for women. And, and, you know, also the 800 for men is, is pretty cool too. It is. Uh, so I want to, I want to take you back to, so obviously working for the high performance team, I've been aware of you and the national team athletes for a number of years. Um, but things jump out at me for different athletes and I'll tell you what yours is to me. So 2016 Olympic trials didn't go the way you wanted them to go. Okay. I have never talked to you about this, but I'm assuming you're relatively disappointed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm on staff at the U S open in August, which I think was in Minnesota and you march in there. You take first in the 800, you beat your trials time by like four seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think you go eight twenty five, which would have placed top eight at the Olympics that year. Okay. Um, you took second in the 400. I think that was your best time as well. And I was like, Whoa, she's like, whatever disappointment you had, it either fueled that meat or you let it go. I'm not sure what it was, but like I said, I was aware of you, but that's the outstanding moment um, for Ashley Twitchell that I'll remember my whole life, just being in that meet. And you signed up for two events. You came in, you like kicked butt and left. And am I getting this right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's still actually, that's my 
best 800 time to this date is that wow. us open yeah that us open race um yeah i mean i think i've had um a kind of a few scenarios like that in my career um you know 2012 i, I really narrowly missed making the the open water team um and then you know that was kind of the three weeks later i had pool trials and so i knew that i had to kind of um, not forget about, you know, that disappointment, but I needed to kind of turn around and, and focus on the pool. Um, and I feel like I, I did do a pretty good job of that, but, um, looking back on it now, I feel like I did kind of just, um, maybe like tried to, to hide it too much and, and kind of forget about it. And I think, um, by 2016, I had learned that I needed to kind of acknowledge whatever disappointment I was feeling and honor those feelings and, and kind of sit with them. And I think um, doing that really enabled me to um, be able to move on. And yeah, I, I mean, I definitely really vividly remember that US Open as well. I, I didn't have huge expectations. I, I didn't really know what would happen. Obviously, I had um, tapered for trials as much as a, a distance summer tapers. And so, you know, had, had gone back up in yardage, but, and then kind of rested for us open, I think. So really didn't know what to expect. And I think that was probably a huge part of it. It was, it was really low pressure. Um, obviously it, it wasn't the Olympics that I was hoping to be at. And so, um, it was more low pressure. I didn't have huge expectations put on myself. And, um, I think, you know, the underlying, uh, you know, reason for, for being able to perform well at that meet was just the, the passion I have for the sport. And um, that's something that's never really gone away from me. Um, I think, you know, there have been times in my career where uh, it's been that passion has been like lessened, obviously, you know, the big disappointments, um, I had a shoulder surgery. So, so times like that. Um, it's been a little bit tougher to kind of find that motivation, but I think at the end of the day, I, I'm able to, um, you know, look inside myself and realize that the reason I'm doing it is just the passion and, and just, you know, the genuine love I have for the sport and for um, pushing myself to, to be the best I can be. And that's really what I want to do every single day, whether it's um, a workout or a race, whether it's, you know, sectionals or the Olympic trials. I just want to um, get up on the block and, and do the very best I can. And um, I think, you know, that kind of mindset is honestly, I think what, you know, allowed me to to qualify for the Olympics this past summer and have a really good race was um, just knowing that regardless of, of the outcome I had, um, I'd really given it everything I had and, and definitely sacrificed a lot of things along the way. And so, um, being able to, to get up and race, knowing very well that there may be huge disappointment at the end of it. I think that takes a lot of courage. And so, um, you know, I knew that when I finished that race, regardless of the outcome, I would be really proud of, um, what I had done and what I had gone through to get there. So I think that mindset has definitely helped me and, um, I'm still working on it and it's definitely taken me a long time to get there. I'm 31 now and I've been swimming for a lot of years. So. No, but you said there uh, I, that acknowledging your disappointment was a very useful tool in order to move forward. And if I'm going to reference the younger listeners that I did before, man, would that be great to learn as a 12 and 13 year old <laughs> instead of yeah. in the 20s? <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I wish I could go back and, you know, kind of tell my my younger self that as well too like it's it's okay to be disappointed and that means you care and that's a really really good thing so um kind of acknowledging that and in whatever way you need to i think everyone um kind of uh you know 
it deals with their emotions in different ways. So that whether that's, um, you know, talk for me, it's super helpful to, to just be open to people and talk to, to, um, in, in usually my family, my husband, um, my super close friends about it. And, um, rather than letting kind of like sit inside of your head. And for me, that's super therapeutic and helps a lot. Yeah. I, I kind of, I consider you like the epitome of a professional swimmer, professional athlete. Um, you know, when I look at your, your network, you know, you could be in California and you have a coach there that you trust to train with. You could be at Colorado Springs. You have people there that you trust to work with you in North Carolina with John. I mean, you've built a network up and like being a professional swimmer doesn't look like being a professional baseball player where, you know, the team comes in and gives you all the resources that you need. You add the pieces along as you need them. Um, is this a an adequate description of your, I guess your network? Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I feel like um, I'm, you know, so, so grateful for every coach I've had along the way and I've had um, quite a few. And I think there were, I think I had seven swim coaches at my wedding. And so that obviously says like a lot about um, how important they have been to me. And, and, you know, that was almost five years ago. So if I had, um, you know, if I was getting married now, it would it'd probably be even more. And so, um, I, you know, from the time I was little and doing country club swimming and, and then through, through club swimming, um, throughout college and then post-grad, you know, just because of different circumstances in my life, I've, um, you know, had quite a few coaches as well. And all of them have been so, so beneficial to me. And I, that's something I'm so grateful for. And like you said, um, I, I feel like I can go a lot of different places and, and have, um, a coach that I really, really trust and that I really look up to and respect. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's something I'm definitely really grateful. And, um, even when I'm done swimming, I know those relationships will, you know, continue, which is something I'm, um, something I'm really grateful the sport has given me. And yeah, like I still FaceTime coach Rose, like once a week, which is, which is great. And I've done, you know, lots and lots of training trips with him. And I talk to my Duke coaches all the time. They're, you know, just 30 minutes away from me now. So I get to see them, um, and go support, you know, the Duke some team at meets. And, uh, yeah, I try to keep in touch with all of them and, um, they've, they've given me so much and every single one of them has played a part in getting to me to where I am today. So. And part of being a, a professional, and I'm going to, I'm going to make some guesses here, but there, when you were describing like what your period of time was going to look like between being at altitude and then being at Olympic trials and the amount of travel, you, it, it wasn't just those couple of months that you were going to do that. That's kind of like the professional lifestyle, um, you know, over the course of four years, eight years, two years, whatever. Um, there has to be some meets where, you know, you landed at three in the morning or your shoulders, you know, not feeling great, where you're lining up to swim or even maybe getting behind the blocks. And people hate to say this, but you just know it's not going to go well. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. you know, I'm in this race, but this is, I, I, this is not going to be a good day. How do you handle it? Once again, you know, like I know kids are interested in this because every athlete faces this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, you definitely, you know, nailed it on the head. Um, I can specifically remember like a couple of years ago landing in Doha. I think we landed at like two 30 in the morning. We got to the hotel at, like 5.00 AM. I remember taking like a picture and like the, the timestamp was on it. It's like 4.37. We're just going to bed for the night. Um, this past January, we were in Australia for a race and 
uh, like the first afternoon there, we were swimming outdoors and I got stung by a bee, which I'm allergic to. We ended up going to the hospital for it. And so like, yeah, things, things go wrong. Um, but again, I think remembering that, um, all you can do is be the best you can be that day. And I think a lot of times that's more mental than anything. Um, and kind of forgetting about, uh, the circumstances that, that may not be in your favor and kind of trying as much as you can to forget about those and just focusing on the moment and doing, um, the very best you can in the moment. Um, my coach JP who coaches me now in North Carolina always says, um, feeling good is a bonus. So obviously you want to have those races both in the pool and open water where, um, you feel so good. And of course it like, it doesn't, it hurts, but it's like an easy speed. Um, it's like a good hurt. And I've certainly had my fair share of those, but I've also had races that from the second five in, they feel absolutely terrible. Like I was, you know, sprinting the entire time. Um, and so just, just trying to, like I said earlier, I I feel like a a broken record, but really just trying to be the best you can be on that day. Um, and giving it your all, I think that's really all you can ask for. And knowing that, um, really all the hard work has already been done in training. And so getting to compete should be the fun part. And so just kind of, um, putting your best foot forward when the time comes. I want to be respectful of your time, but there's a few housekeeping things I want to clean up here before I let you go. It you only took you 30 minutes to mention Duke. All right. How important is Duke to you? <laughs> yes, very. Um, I was just talking to one of my girlfriends who I swam with this morning. Um, and just how, you know, if we could go back and relive those four years, we would, it was, um, definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made going to Duke. It's something I would make again in a heartbeat. Um, I loved my time there from academics to swimming to the coaches. Um, the all around experience was amazing. And like I said, it, I'm just 25 minutes from, from Duke now. So every time I go back and I'm on campus, I'm like, Oh, like I, I was so lucky these four years. I just absolutely love it. So, um, actually right before, you know, kind of COVID hit, um, I was able to go to a Duke basketball game in, in Cameron with my two brothers and my husband, which, um, that was all three of their first times in Cameron, oh, wow. which is a whole, a whole different experience. So that, that was really, really fun. And, um, the last live sporting event, um, we have been to and probably will go to for a long time, but yeah, I'll forever be proud to, to be a Blue Devil. It was, it was an amazing four years. I chatted with Bryce a little bit and he said, you can find pizza anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, I can. I grew up in New York and so, uh, we had pizza every Friday night and honestly, probably kind of embarrassing. Like I thought everyone did that. Like I thought that was just something everyone did. Like every family had pizza every single Friday night. So, um, we had just had like a little local pizza shop up the street from where we lived and we would have that every Friday night. And, um, it was kind of like, we do that now, me and my husband, it's kind of like a it was a non-negotiable, like we're having pizza every Friday night. Um, definitely like my, my favorite food. And so, yeah, when, when you're traveling and, um, a lot of times eating different foods than you're used to, it's, it's nice to, even though it's going to be probably a little bit different than the pizza you're used to in the States, it's nice to, um, have something, you know, kind of comforting and me, me and Haley dragged Bryce to, uh, get our nails done and then go to pizza in South Korea this past summer. So he, the poor guy spent like two and a half hours in the nail salon with us. And then, <laughs> and then we went and got some pizza, but yeah, I can. That's a really impressive talent because trying to find pizza in like Kazan, Russia, 
is not simple. It's yeah, it's, actually I'll, I'll give a shout out to D- Dave Kelsheimer found us pizza in Kazan. So that was like at the end of the competition, he was like, I will find you guys pizza and I'll get it. And he did. So Dave. Yep. Okay. Dave can do anything. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to comment too on your social media. You do a wonderful job of keeping things positive on there. Um, you know, whether you're retweeting or putting out your own message there, um, is that something you've sought to do as a professional athlete or has that just been your thing on social media? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, the social media world is, is definitely, you know, constantly evolving as is everything. Um, I really just stick to like Instagram and Twitter. I feel so old, but I don't even have, I don't even have TikTok, which I knew is, which I know is like the thing now. Um, but yeah, I feel like a, a lot of the younger generation um, uses that a lot for, for their news source and, and for getting information out there. And so I definitely tried to, um, yeah, be positive, but also um, use it as a tool and a, and a platform really to get out things that are important to me and that I stand for. So, um, I definitely think it's a, it's a really beneficial tool in that way. Um, what brands do you work with specifically? So I've been a part of team tier since 2013, which is crazy. It's been like seven years now. I still remember, um, signing with them and, and they've been amazing. Um, you know, I actually signed with them, kind of right in the midst of a, a not so great um, time in my career. It was, you know, I think seven months out, seven months before I got shoulder surgery and um, then I missed making the team in 2015. And so um, they've really been, been so supportive, you know, both obviously, uh, you know, in the, in the good times, which is amazing, but even more so in the not so great times. And so having their support has been, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, and then also partnered with Red Ace, which uh, is a beet juice company. And I actually use, um, I mean, I use beet juice daily, but, and the Red Ace daily, but I also have for the past several years, probably three or four years, um, I use it in my open water feeds, which when I tell people that they're like, Oh, how can you drink that in the middle of a race? But, um, it's, it's something I definitely think is, is really beneficial and, um, gives me a little bit of that extra kick and energy. Uh, you're usually dying for at the end of an open water race. So, so Twitter and Instagram, if people want to follow you, what, where should they go? So I actually probably should switch it. My Instagram and uh, Twitter are different, but my Instagram, which is definitely what I use more, um, is a T wall, W a L L six one six. Okay. Um, and then yeah, Twitter, I is a twitch, a T W I C H six one six. Um, and like you said, I, I really use that to kind of, um, I go on it and, and retweet and, um, yeah, I, I follow, you know, USA swimming and, and get some news from there as well. Okay. Anything I forgot to ask you today? I don't think so. I think that's it. I mean, I, I just would encourage everyone who's, who's listening. I know everyone across the country is in, in different spots and depending on where you are and, and what your regulations are. I know there are probably still some, some clubs who are not able to get back in the water yet. And um, I've been fortunate enough. We've actually been able to have a couple of super small kind of inter-squad meets, which has been really nice to get back to racing a little bit, but um, to just say, you know, as positive as you can. And like I said earlier, do the best with what you can. This is definitely a really tough and, and, and trying time for everyone. Um, and so to, to do, you know, the best you can with what you have. And, um, I'll also just throw a little PSA out there to exercise your right to vote if you're of voting age. Right on. Thank you so much for your time today, Ash. Thank you.
Okay, thank you to Ashley Twitchell for joining us and taking some time out of her day. Uh, before I let you go today, I want to just uh, back up and go over a few of the things that Ashley mentioned, if you're interested. Um, one of the articles that I thought did a really good job talking about Ashley and her journey, and sometimes even dove into a more detail than we did here, was the ESPN.com article for her. Um, there's an extended URL I could read to you, but that's not very much fun. I would just go to Google um, and search Ashley Twitchell, T-W-I-C-H-E-L-L, and it's one of the first 10 uh, items that pops up for her. It's an ESPN.com, ESPNW story, um, if you're looking for some sort of identifier um, in, in your search. Ashley also mentioned her uh, Instagram, if you're interested in following her. That's at ATWall616, and her Twitter handle as well, if you'd rather follow her on Twitter or both. Um, and that's at Twitch, T-W-I-C-H-616. Uh, during the podcast, Ashley uh, mentioned the foundation and the PSA she did regarding water safety during COVID, open water swimming. Um, if you're interested in more information about the USA Swimming Foundation or the PSA that Ashley did, you would want to go to usaswimming.org backslash foundation. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of KickSet, and thanks to Ashley uh, for her time. Please, next time you're uh, you're on your source for podcasts, give us a rate and review. We do look those over and they're super important to us. Um, and thanks for listening to KickSet. Thanks for listening to KickSet with USA Swimming. Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add KickSet to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.